Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Dr. Carol Francis, I'm a clinical psychologist, and today we are here to try to help you progress your own attitude toward being a woman or in having a relationship with a woman. Either way, whether you're a man or a woman, this is an important dialogue for you to consider how we are evolving in our perspectives towards male-female roles and towards what it means to be satisfied in a female, female position of life. And to help us think about this on our Women Change the World series is Lisa Marie Jenkins, who is the author of Wake Up Beauty. That's not about the prince. Hmm, interesting tile, Lisa Marie. Thank you so much for coming on our show. How are you doing today? Yeah, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm doing great. So it is an interesting title. (laughs) Oh, it is. So tell us about your book and where we can find it. And then we're going to move into a dynamic conversation, which I think many of our listeners would have if they could sit down and dialogue with you face-to-face. So what is your book about the messages and how can we get a hold of it? So the book is now um, publicly released with February 10th, so you can get it from any bookstore, Barnes & Noble, any of your independent booksellers. It's available on Amazon as well. And if you'd like a personalized signed copy, you can also order it directly from me on my website, lisamariejenkins.com. Beautiful. Well, what is it about? What are we what are we in a treat for? <laughs> so the book is the, the title comes from Wake Up Beauty It's Not the Prince. And it comes from somebody I worked with years ago and and we were in a counseling session and I was going through some drama in a relationship and she said to me, "Lisa, she said, "Don't you know that the biggest fattest lie we've ever been told as girls, as women is that Sleeping Beauty did not wake up when Prince Charming kissed her. Sleeping Beauty actually went to sleep. She went to sleep on herself, her own passion, her own purpose, and her her own worth because we've been so conditioned to believe that romantic love is meant to provide that to us. So so that's where the title came from. And it's and I think often we're conditioned to believe that something outside of us, and especially romantic love, is supposed to provide that fulfillment. And so we stop searching within to really find out what lights us up and what our greatest gift is that we're meant to share with the world. And, and I know like for me that... Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. What is amazing about your, about your book is that you have the idea that we... We need to find the fulfillment in ourselves, but very definitely that doesn't preclude a, 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 a wonderful romantic relationship. So how do you do that dance in your book between, yes, romantic relationships can have wonderful impact on your life, but they can also hurt well, you? I think I think that all relationships are meant to, especially the romantic relationship, there's nothing like a romantic relationship to mirror your own stuff, right? meaning mirroring the places within you that aren't so pretty, that aren't so kind, that aren't so loving, um, maybe the wounded places within yourself that get brought up through a romantic relationship because that's where we're the mo- we become the most vulnerable, and that's where that stuff you know, shows itself. And, and so the romantic relationship is always, whether it's a relationship that ends up being long-term, short-term, or maybe a year or two, it, it always is an amazing gift to show us where we can be, bec- 
become better within ourselves and better outward. So I think no matter what, I never look at any relationship as a failure as long as you get the lessons and the growth from that interaction and that relationship. But I think that oftentimes we think that the relation. I know for me it was, I was very, I had no self-awareness whatsoever until 34 years old when I got divorced and I went out into the world with a big career and two children and trying to figure it out on my own and got in other relationships. And I realized, wow, I remember the very first self-help book I read and it was by Liana Van Zandt and, and I think it was titled In the Meantime and she had this thing about self-awareness and higher consciousness and she did it as uh, the metaphor of a house and I realized, wow, I'm a basement dweller. I'm completely un- I'm unaware of myself and why I do the things that I do and why I react the way that I do. So for mm. me, it was... I began to explore, like, had a major abandonment issues from my father dying when I was very young and my mother becoming emotionally unavailable afterwards. But I realized my belief of I'm not okay without a dad, that I'm not as good as other people without a dad, translated into I'm not okay or whole or complete or good enough unless I have a man by my side. And even though I wasn't consciously aware then I was carrying that, it was driving my behavior. And so the journey was, to answer your question, is learning to be whole and complete within yourself is what ultimately allows you to attract whole, right? Two halves don't make a whole, and I think that's often what happens in relationships is we have two dysfunctional or two half people who aren't whole and complete, and they try and come together and make each other whole, and that works in the very short term, but then it turns out to be very dysfunctional entanglement within that relationship. So that 15-year journey for me of really going into that self-discovery, and it was both traditional therapy, counseling, support groups, and then more of a deep spiritual journey. If I, the, the premise of my book and, and the reason I wrote the book is I thought, you know what, if I can help one woman navigate this journey more quickly than the 15 years of suffering that it took me by mm-hmm. sharing yeah. my greatest aha moments, then you know what, that's my gift to the world. Mm-hmm. I do truly think that Wake Up Beauty, it's not about the prince, is a, a huge gift. And when I when I received your book and I sat down with it, I just opened up the first dedication pages and I just found myself going, oh, absolutely. And the, and the whole idea that we as women are sold a bill of goods about that the man will complete us or the man will give us purpose or if a man finds us attractive, therefore we are attractive and if we if a man does not like us, therefore there's something weak or wrong or inadequate about us. It's, it, it's, it's like when did men become the definers of our, our sense of well-being and value? Well, it's been around for quite a while. But I yeah. also think about, yeah, so in, in, I'd love to hear your response to that. And where I'm leading with this idea, though, too, is I don't think that men need to be threatened by this book, but I think they will be. And... Um, so I want to go to that topic, but first before we leave there, because I'm sure that that topic's in people's mind, is what is it like for women to step back and go, wait a minute, I'm, I'm putting my whole definition of self-worth in the hands of another human being who probably equally is wondering if they have self-worth. Exactly, exactly. But I think the you, it's, we don't even do it consciously. Like we don't even, it's, it's so in, intertwined in our fabric of our being that we don't even wear, aware that we're really doing that because I started realizing even though I was very powerful in my career and I was out there just doing whatever I wanted, I would, you know, break down barriers, I'd go through any door that opened for me and 
I realized there were a lot of women, and I remember the very first time I noticed it, it was, it was a vice president of a very large Fortune 500 high-tech company, and she was a powerhouse, unbelievably bright, intelligent, full of confidence. And then I saw her one day with her husband in a more social environment, and, I, and it was a polar opposite. Like you would have thought this wow. woman was meek, had no self-esteem, because, and she didn't in the romantic relationship. And I was like, wow, there are lots of women like me that are, can be very powerful and strong self-esteem in this area. But then in the romantic relationship, they're so willing to give their power away in order to maintain that relationship because they feel like they're not going to be okay without it. And, um, and I think some of it goes all the way back to outdated DNA, where we literally, as women, needed a man. We needed his size. We needed his strength to physically survive in the world. And that's not the case anymore, but I still think we kind of carry that with us to some degree, just like we carry the fight-or-flight response that it no longer serves us. Oh, interesting. You bring the DNA in there. So it reminds me of, you know, the, the, the lions or the, or the tigers, where actually the male comes around to create babies, and then leaves. So that yes. <laughs> like, or 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 any of the primates. It's a very similar sort of thing. Where women are really left to raise their kids and and fan for themselves. Maybe the male might bring some food along with them, but mostly they're just there to impregnate and propagate. It's just it's just a fascinating yeah. wonderment. And with all the divorce rate and single parenting going on, you, you I just kind of wonder if there isn't that part of us also that's being expressed in what you're saying. What do you think about that? So I think it goes back to what you were saying. Is it is is, it, is my book? Should it be a you know? Should it be a threat to men in any way, shape, or form? And I, and so I think you just hit it. Like that's part of the problem is because as we we're evolving as women and we can take care of ourselves in the world, so to speak. We can make our own living. We we don't need a male for physical safety. And we it's and it's no longer the 50s. We don't need a male to provide for us. And we just be the homemakers and the caretakers of the children. And so the men don't know what their role is anymore. And, and then right. you add to that, men have been brought up in this, you know, show no fear, win at all costs, don't show anything feminine, don't show emotion, don't show feeling, you know, no, no kinks in the armor kind of thing that they've never been allowed to really explore their emotions, their feelings, and therefore lag in emotional intelligence. They're not always tuned in emotionally, and they're, they're working from a more masculine, linear, analytical place. And so my book is not a threat. And, and in fact, I think as women really take their role and really take responsibility for their own happiness, because first of all, that's a heck of a demand to put on any human being that you're responsible for my happiness. Like what guy wouldn't be like relieved with like, oh, thank you, I'm no longer, I feel so much pressure because I've had men say that to me. I have felt so much pressure from my wife, my girlfriend, whoever, that I... I'm responsible for her happiness, and and mm-hmm. I that's just too much pressure. And it's not it's not realistic. Nobody can do that for another human being, nor is it their responsibility. Mm-hmm. But when we really take over our own responsibility for our emotional happiness, then we free up that guy to start exploring, really exploring his feelings and his emotions. And I and I think that's part of the role. And it's funny because I was. I ran for this charity event for it was a, a Tampa Bay Woman of the Year recently, and it was all for charity. And there were two newscasters that were the MC of the event. And when they called me up on stage and introduced me, and it was an, a male MC, and he he read the uh, title of my book, and he goes, "Should I be offended?" And I was like, "No, of course not. <laughs> I'm like, not at all. I'm taking you know, I'm taking that pressure off of you. Like I'm responsible, not you any longer." So, I will tell you, I have had a few men read my book. 
um, some work colleagues and a few just male friends. And they absolutely love the book because they said, number one, there's information in here for anyone, whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. We're all people all struggling with the same things. But most, mm-hmm. but they all said, I really gained a perspective of understanding women and how you view things that I've never had before. So I think mm-hmm. it'd be, it can be quite insightful for men because it's certainly not anything to do with male bashing or, you know, I'm woman, hear me roar thing. It's not about that at all. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting you bring that up because in getting to know you, I was turning to some of the YouTube. You can, we are talking to Lisa Marie Jenkins, who's the author of Wake Up Beauty. It's not about the prince. And she, you can see her on YouTube as well. And when, and, and Lisa, when I was looking at you, uh, introducing your book with a, a men circling you in one of the YouTubes, I was struck with how the men began to look insecure and kind of like not knowing how they should attend or engage or uh, respond. At least that was my interpretation of their kind of meandering, which I thought was quite in contrast because normally when someone gets out there to speak about something, everybody kind of focuses with a great deal of courtesy. And instead it looked like they were somewhat confused and misplaced. And I wondered if you had been receiving that sort of awkward reaction where do they feel dismissed Um, because many of these men want to know they are needed, valued, Mm -hmm. important. And the part of the confusion is, well, if you take me off of being your prince or your knight, where's my yeah? Opponent? What do I do? Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's so. and we're in a big transition with men right now. So, in my because I I'm very involved in mostly women's conferences, and when I go out and speak or I do training, it's mostly very focused on women. But one of the things I'm, I have an upcoming event in March in Dallas, and it's going to be men and women, and what I'm talking about is gender diversity and why it's an economic imperative. So it's going to include men and women. And the message there is that, yes, we have to start leveraging women because we bring different skill set to the workplace, to politics. We bring collaboration. We bring empathy. We bring emotional intelligence. We bring intuition into the workplace. But we absolutely have to start engaging men in this process to help them understand why we're not, it's not a threat to them. It's, it's only going to increase everybody's success in the process. So I think it's really important. You know, I go to all these women's conferences, and there's not a man in the room except maybe the guy capturing it on video. Right, mm-hmm. and and I'm like right. we've got it, we, but we've got to get to a place where that men and some are. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. There are some women's organizations that are still very consumed with the equality issue, and we mm-hmm. are in Western culture. We have equality. I mean, do we need a few policy changes here and there? Sure, but that's that's not the issue here. We're empowered as women in Western culture, and we're very privileged. Whether you want to step into that power or not is your choice. But mm-hmm. I've seen that. Um, there's still some women's organizations that take a defensive posturing against men, almost a little bit yeah. anger, a little outdated, like what we did in the 70s, mm-hmm. what women had to do to kind of make their first mark. But I want to get away from that, and I want to start educating men that this is not an equality issue. This is not about we're trying to take your place or move you out. This is about understanding that there's a balance that needs to happen between the masculine and feminine strengths. And that doesn't necessarily mean men versus women because, you know, you can be a woman and be very masculine in your approach in the workplace and how you run your life. And same thing with a man. It has to do with you've got to bring that intuition, that collaboration, the caring about the greater good, the inspiration, which is the feminine, right? And the masculine is the action part. The masculine is the linear, analytical, logical, take action and move it forward. 
So to have inspired action, you have to have a balance of the female and the male, right? So the masculine and the feminine. I, I like to say yin and yang because then people don't get caught up in the, right. the woman's equality mm-hmm. thing because it's really about balance mm-hmm. to me, and that's what I'm mm-hmm. really trying to help people understand. So you have these qualities that are listed out on page 13 of your book, which I thought was great in terms of what's important in a, like a Harvard Business Review, what's important in a business situation. So a successful business is going to have expressive individuals, uh, people who plan for the future, reasonable, loyal, flexible, patient, intuitive, collaborative, decisive, and resilient. And those qualities alone, uh, two out of those are considered um, the classical masculine energy, the decisiveness and the resilience. And the rest yes. are considered the classical feminine. You know, one thing that I don't see here is the um, the importance of competitiveness, the importance of, 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 of sizing up a situation and kind of manipulating your way through it, and the the good old boy attitude where you socialize on a level that is... Um, commiserate to the to either your patrons, your clients, or your associates. And I think that if I were to add that, and I, I work with a lot of men, that men will often say to me as a woman, you're absolutely right. When the men get together, we are a different breed. And as soon as one woman walks into the equation, yes. we change. Mm-hmm. So there's no way for any woman to walk into a situation and observe the interaction between men and feel the energy as if you're a participant because they simply do not respond the same to each other. Um, so in light of that, what, well, address what your thoughts are about that. I'll just leave that kind of hanging as a general description. What do you think? Well, there's there's a lot of layers to that. And I would say, first of all, it's it's funny because I I just want and this is what is, comes to top of mind that I I feel a need to share. I was watching this documentary series from the History Channel on the Vietnam War, and during that they were they were showing footage and actual pictures of the peace talks that were going on in Paris by you know all the all the political leaders throughout the world during the 10 years of the Vietnam War, right, which they never came to any agreement. And this is a giant table of 20 men over 10 years coming together regularly trying to find peace for the South Vietnam, North Vietnam, Vietnam situation, excuse me. And yet right. all I could think of as I looked at those 20 men sitting around the table over 10 years that if you had had five women in that group, this stuff would have come to an end a long time ago, right? We would have gotten somewhere because we would have been about collaboration. We would have been about carrying the greater good. But it goes back, I I saw this really interesting study on kindergartners and boys and girls, and this was done throughout the country at at various elementary schools. And so they had two play areas set up, and I think this kind of explains it all, and then I'll go a little more into why I think we're so different and what happens then when we get together. Is So they had grocery store where you could literally get a, a grocery cart and go shopping. They had kitchen and all the play things in the kitchen. And then on the boys' side, they had you know workbench and tools. They had a whole fire station set up. So when the boys came over to the girls' side and said, oh, can I, can I make a cake in your kitchen? The girls would be like, yeah, yeah, come on in, come on in. Every time a girl went over to the boys' side and said, oh, I want to be a fireman today. Can I put on the hat and the coat? And the boys would cross their arms and say, this is for boys. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like so, yeah. so it, starts, it starts very early, and it has to do with, I even think a lot of it goes back to grade school. So as girls, we are praised for being quiet for following the rules and being perfect. 
So it turns girls into approval seekers and perfection, you know, trying to seek perfectionism all the time. And then, and boys are raised in a way that's very competitive. It's always about finding their order and one-upping, and it's always about winning. And so it's, it's kind of funny, as you see that come together in the business world, I will tell you, I worked in a very male-dominated industry, technology, and I was in the field most of that career, which was even more male-dominated. And I never really thought about it, and I almost think because I never thought about it, now believe me, I had my share of, oh, we're, go- we're all going out to the strip joint tonight, you know, after we have dinner kind of thing, right? Like yes. I came across that oh, quite yeah. a bit. And they would yeah. invite me, and that wasn't my thing, but um, that I was certainly subjected to that more than, more than I care to, to recall. Um, mm. But I, I, mm. I never really saw it as different as long as I took action and I could hold my own ground, but I never did it in a masculine way. I always did it from right action and right relationship with partners and customers when I was in the field. And it wasn't until I moved into corporate roles where I was, I was interacting in, in global marketing and strategy, so there are way more women in those roles in the, inside marketing than there were in the field and in engineering. And I noticed that there was this huge confidence gap between men and women. And then I started researching and I found one study after another that proved it. For I'll give you one example. HP launched a study internally because they wanted to know why more women weren't putting themselves out there and applying for senior management roles. The, oh, study, found, the study found that a man would look at a job posting and if he had 60% of the qualifications, he put his name in the hat and he went for it, which is exactly how I always was in business as well when I would, you know, I just go for it. I bite off more than I can chew and I'll run through the door and I'll worry about, you know, what I don't know later. I'll just concentrate on what I can bring. But the study then on the woman's side, a woman would not apply for the job unless she could check off 100% of the job qualifications before she would go for it. So a woman is focused on perfectionism and I have to be completely competent before I'll go for it. So there's this huge confidence gap for them. And what the study and what many studies have proven though is that confidence matters just as much as competence. Yet women are still focused on proving their competence instead of developing the confidence to take action. And so my whole thing is this. Do we we've got to evolve the planet. We've got to heal the earth. We've got to create more balance. This masculine way of doing things, this purely competitive go to win analytical logical linear approach and, and that the bottom line of any organization only is about profit. The bottom line has to include the greater good for others and the community and the world. So women bring that. But here's, here's the problem. So if you look at do we teach men the emotional intelligence or do we teach women a little bit of confidence and courage to bring what they already naturally inherently have? It, to me, it's, the answer is quite obvious. It's a much shorter route to boost women a little to get them to bring their authentic voice, to start sharing their voice, to start bringing forth these more feminine characteristics that are being called for in leadership. And then we free up men to start exploring that piece for themselves. Mm-hmm. Wow, so much information that you just, oh, you're reacting all over. <laughs> this is what I'm really oh, passionate about. <laughs> I don't know. I just love to say we're talking to Lisa Marie Jenkins. I really do advise men and women to read this book. It's all about igniting the brilliance through feminine leadership. Wake up, beauty. It's not about the prince. You will listen to read this book. Listen to your head and about it. You will argue with the author, which is exactly what she's about, that you argue so that you self-discover, <laughs> so you, 
you listen to your own debate about your own femininity and your own masculine traits and well worth considering. So we're going to go even deeper. In, oh, Lisa, where do I take your idea and run with it? So right now I'm going to run with it in terms of ISIS or ISIL. So here we are in uh, international crisis of having uh, a group of, um, of radicals, and they won't even attach it to a religious belief because they are just radicals who are there to intimidate and to promote their point of view as being the dominant threat in the world. And we have to respond. But what interests me about this particular group is I wonder, I ponder that they came from a situation predominantly male-driven with a lot of competitiveness Mm -hmm. and drive that way, but they are representing themselves as having quite a few women in their organization, which I find intriguing because it has always been my contention that the freedom we will have in a world without war is going to be more contingent on women exerting the power that exists in mm-hmm. their feminine approaches. But it has to be powerful and it has to be cunning and it has to be savvy because you can't interlace feminine energy and then the whole world is going to say, oh, you know, we really should do the right thing. But I think that's where we get trapped. Okay, so now hold no, that I- for a moment. If I come back to ISIS mm-hmm. and ISIL and write down your thoughts, I want to hear it all. When I come back to ISIL or ISIS, whatever you're calling it, the fact that there are women in that organization that are represented as being very keen, in my mind, is a way for people who are radical to start exerting their power, and they exert their power in a way that contradicts the way they're experiencing being disempowered. So in that situation, the ISIS exerting power in in a way that's opposite of the way they experience being disempowered so a woman in that situation is likely to become a militant against whomever sure. she sees as the enemy. And so we as women, if we see men as telling us that we're not valuable, we're going to be militant against men, even though most men out there right. are going, why are you picking on me? I'm an innocent man, Billy Joel declares. declares. So I, I, given all of that, where do you want to go with that idea? So let's start with something basic, and that is... Okay. There are certainly many powerful women in the world that I would say are way out of balance. They are way more masculine than feminine. And, and, and I, I, this will sound funny, but I'm going to say it anyway. They're just a dude dressed in drag, right? And I'm talking about we've all experienced her. She's powerful. She's strong. She's out there making things happen, I, and, and it can be a and, and not even getting into politics, but I've seen it in VPs and large corporations that are women. I see it in Hillary Clinton. That's a different kind of woman. She's out of balance. She's all about the masculine. She's not. She's bought into. I've got to do it like a guy to be successful, and she has disregarded her natural inherent feminine strengths. So I, I'm a blogger on the Huffington Post, and most of what I write is all around this feminine. And what is this feminism? And what is the 21st century feminist? And I call her the feminista, right? Because I don't like the word feminist because it, mm. to me, it, 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 it goes back to a negative connotation where we see women as angry. We see women as in defensive posture against men. And I don't think that's what it's about. I really think it's about, it's about the divine feminine. And this is most recently what I just wrote about. And I call the divine feminine fierce grace. And because when we think of grace, we think of something very fluid, very beautiful, a ballerina, right? But the only reason a ballerina is so graceful and so beautiful is because her core strength is fierce, 
right? She is dedicated, disciplined, and she is strong as can be from the inside, from her core outward, right? And that's what divine feminine is. So when I see organizations using the feminist thing to, you know, try and include women or get women on the bandwagon, that's a different thing than our world needs the divine feminine. You, You know, there's a reason we call it Mother Earth, it's because it's about nurturing and caring and healing and transforming. Have you ever heard anybody dispute, no, I think we need to call it Father Earth? <laughs> I mean, there really is a reason for Mother Earth. We, we as women need to start taking our role. And when you think of the centuries and centuries and centuries where for women, it was not safe for a woman to defend herself. It was not physically safe for her to verbally defend herself or support herself or to speak her truth. All the way, you know, from things like being burned at the stake. We still have countries, many countries outside of Western culture where women are second-class citizens, where women are are being abused, where um, they're being mutilated, where they're stuck in sex trafficking and slavery of different forms. And as Western women, this is, this is really big because I think as Western women – we already are privileged and empowered, and I think it's our role. It's not just our opportunity that we can have equality and, and have the dream and go after whatever we want and be successful at whatever we want to do in our professional careers. But I also think that's also a huge, and I talk about this in my book, it's also our responsibility to speak for those and lead it for those that can't speak for themselves. Right. So I, I, I think that any time you have um, – I'm a huge follower of Marianne Williamson, and she – and I listened to her talks on Monday nights, and she does a beautiful job of talking about this, how any time we have a culture or a country or a society that is desperate, they're, feel, they're hopeless, they're desperate, they're dealing with things like hunger, brutality, et cetera, they are so vulnerable, so vulnerable for something evil to come in and guide them and direct them into almost a vortex of... of um, you know, she used kind of like Germany after World War One, where they just oppressed and oppressed and oppressed Germany after World War One. So they made that country so perfectly poised for somebody like Hitler to come in because they were such depressed um, people and hopeless and desperate that it was easy for Hitler to come in and, you know, almost create a vortex of evil because they were so willing and needing to jump onto something that looked like hope that would save them and make them stronger. So when I look at other organizations, whether, you know, you know, there's so much, don't you think there's a lot out there right now? You hear about women's movements everywhere. Every time I turn around, I hear about another women's organization, another women's conference, another women's community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, you know, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? Because it's mm-hmm. half the po- we're half the population. Right? <laughs> so who can I get to jump on board if I, if I jump on this bandwagon and say that I'm a supporter mm-hmm. of women and so I don't know if I answered your question. Okay. Oh, no. Uh, this, this is a dialogue. We're having a dialogue with Lisa Marie Jenkins. You can reach her at lisamariejenkins.com. Her book, Wake Up Beauty, It's Not About the Prince, is the cornerstone of our discussion, but you need to read the book because we're leaping off in all sorts of different corners from the ideas that she helps yeah. us generate. So, Lisa, here's another aspect I think we definitely need to address with so many, but that's a, that's female sexuality and male sexuality. And... I think that uh, the female sexuality is expressed to some degree externally by the way we dress and groom ourselves and Mm -hmm. that we find 
Uh, let's see, in our most evolved way, if we're still into the land of Prada, it's because we like to look beautiful. We like to look sexy. We like to charge our own sexual appeal to ourselves. Or we even have that female competitiveness with other females. Um, so we could say that in the most evolved way of looking at the obsession with beauty that women have, we could say well, it's because we're, 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 we're self-gratifying along those lines. On the other hand, I do think that we define our beauty often by the way a man will be attracted and do a lingering look or smirk or flirt or whatever is going to be the interaction that we have, um, or either, sure. either fall in love, but definitely, possibly, uh, do I have a sexual partner for the weekend or for the night or for life? Uh, it, so sexuality, sensuality, our own sense of those sorts of things, very big in our Western society. And um, as a consequence, we really can't ignore that in terms of what you're saying. I appreciate your title is Wake Up Beauty, um, but I am really pondering this sexual, I'm, I'm in the free sex hippie generation. I was right before the uh, women's lib. My mother was one of the women's libbers. And when I was raised, <laughs> I, I had no consciousness that men and women were differently paid or treated. I had no sense of that because by... Because, because of my mother, but we were still very oppressive society. I got very confused about women's women. I said, what's everybody talking about? We're already equal. <laughs> I got very confused. Yeah, so yeah, I get that, because that's kind of how I approach my career. <laughs> Pardon me? Yeah, I had no idea it even existed when I, you know, when I entered my career in high tech. Um, so I, it's funny, I wrote a blog not too long ago. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say the sexual revolution of the 60s, and birth control and, and Roe versus Raid and so forth and so on was a big step toward re- relieving us. But, you know, still for many women, the sexual partner is the man. We need to be desired by a man in order for a man to fulfill our, our, our vaginal longing, so to speak. Now, it's not for all women, obviously, but okay. Well, I've said enough for you to leap off of where do you go? Where do you take us, Lisa? Wow, that's a big one. So let's start with... The bottom line is men and women, for the most part, are still very different when it comes to sexuality. I mean, men men do it more as a need, almost like their outdated DNA to I'm, I'm supposed to spread my sperm to procreate and make sure that their species continues, right? So it's much more of a physical act for most men most of the time than it is. And for women, it still can very much, it's about being loved and feeling adored and receiving love. And I, I read an interesting thing recently, and it said, you know, most men see romantic love as a vacation, and most women see romantic love as a lifestyle. <laughs> and I think not all, right? This isn't all-encompassing, but unfortunately that's still rather true, right? That's still somewhat true. And so when you go to the beauty part, and, and the beauty for me was first to play on, the, on defunking the myth of the fairy tale, right? Sleeping beauty, et cetera. But the beauty is, the whole idea of my book is your beauty comes from within. The beauty shine when you are whole and, and complete within and your, and your connection to source, spirit, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, whatever resonates with you, is really solid and intact, your beauty shines outward. There's just no way around it. And, and we do live in a culture where there, it's one thing to have pride in your appearance and taking great care of yourself physically and your hair, your face, your skin, your you know, exercising, eating well, all of those things, right? That's all about self-care and nurturing and, and taking pride in yourself. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, wanna, I want to 
um, slow the aging process as much as possible. And I take huge pride in how I take care of myself. And it's a discipline for me. But there's a line in our culture where our worth has, as women has been attached to our beauty, right? Like our, our physical beauty and, and quote, mm-hmm. youthfulness. And I have, some, I have a yeah. couple really dear friends, and they're 65 and 70, and they're both getting ready to have their second facelifts. And, and they're just they're so consumed with losing their beauty, and that's because of the pressure that's being put on them from the outside. And at what point do we say, no, I'm fine. I'm going to age gracefully, and there's nothing wrong with you know, aging. I mean, I'm going to do my best to fight that, but at what point do we say, I'm okay with me, and it doesn't matter what someone else thinks of me? Because even at 70, it doesn't matter how much work, and Jane Fonda looks amazing. She's never going to look pretty yep. again, right? You know, there's just so it's it's very sad to me. And I, I I came across some research that said if for one month, one month, if women in America and in Canada didn't buy one beauty product for an entire month, the beauty industry would collapse to the same degree the airline industry did after 9/11. Oh <laughs> like, goodness. what does that tell you right there? What does it tell you right, right there that we're consumed with our outward beauty? And that's part of, so. So I guess the best answer or the best interpretation of what you talked about is when we, it's skin, we're so consumed with the effort on the outside instead of making that investment on the inside. I mean, the women that go to such great extents that put themselves in debt over being able to dress a certain way and, and, and like you said, buy Prada or whatever it is. And yet that, that work, that effort, that time, that money, had they invested even a quarter of that to go inward, and radiate that from their core outward, they'd be more beautiful than they would than any any cosmetic could buy them, and and that's what beauty to me is really all about. So I think we've got to we've got to take a stand for that. And and there certainly are women that use their sexuality to get places. And you know I would get oh, yeah. I, I I you know I was pretty successful out in the field again in a male industry, and I had a few people say, well yeah I'm sure your 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 looks didn't hurt you, and I was like. I never used my I never used sexuality in any way. I mean, it was I attractive? Yes, right? In a male world, I mean that maybe that opened a few doors for me, but it certainly wasn't the reason of my success. And I love I I saw Ariana Huffington speak at a conference in October in New York City, and the title of her presentation was How to Sleep Your Way to the Top. And she was literally mm-hmm. talking about sleep, about how that mm-hmm. self-care is more important than anything and being successful in your career and in your life. <laughs> so um, I think it's... <laughs> that is very funny. I know, it's awesome. Ooh, I, so, um, mm-hmm. You know, I... I, yeah, I, I, just, so it makes me sad. It makes me sad. <laughs> so wait, I have, to tell, I have to tell you a story about the whole beauty thing. So I did a book signing okay. here locally at Barnes & Noble on Valentine's Day. And three of my, my friends came up to kind of support me, and, and I was signing books, and the three of them were standing behind me talking, and they all know each other through me. So one of, the, one of the ladies there had gotten engaged over Christmas, and she has like a giant, I, I think it's a three-and-a-half-carat marquee diamond, right, like in a huge, huge setting. So, so the other women noticed her ring. They hadn't seen her, and they were like, oh, my God, and they were like falling all over themselves over this ring, like the oohs and the ahs and the oh my gosh and the blah. And, I tur- and I'm signing a book saying, wake up, beauty, it's not about the prince. And I turned around and looked at him. I'm like, do you guys realize you're being the antithesis of what my book is all about here? Yes. Like, oh, yeah. like, just because she has this giant ring on her hand does not, and I absolutely know she's still not, she's not getting from that relationship she ultimately wants and desires 
and she's settling because he's not willing to step up in the ways that she wants to have the relationship. And it made me kind of sad yet, but on the outside, I've got this, I've got this show and this diamond, so that must mean I'm whole and happy and I'm okay now. I've been validated. So, again, it's, it's the beauty. Hear what you're saying. <laughs> you know, Lisa, I think that you're probably a rare breed. And <laughs> maybe you feel like. Well, I'm trying to build a tribe, because... <laughs> Carol. <laughs> well, you know, I think that. Um, I do think that that women are still very oriented toward whether their beauty makes them definable. And I look at your website, and you're a gorgeous woman. And so it's easier for a gorgeous woman to declare what you're saying than it is for mediocrity or average or someone who just can't fall into the upper 10% of, of beautiful women and or for those that are growing older. I mean, I'm going to be 60 this year, and I tell you that I declare that outwardly. And, and look at every single line that I do not Botox away and go, oh, my gosh, this is really a crumbling temple. And yeah. it takes a lot in this society to say, I'm a crumbling temple, and therefore I will have a smaller and smaller appeal to a community that addresses the visual component of life. And, I, and, and that is a reality. It is built it into is a reality. us There's to have no visual attraction. So we can't pretend here, and we can't sit there and say, gee, it's wrong that it's that way, we have to sit there and consciously say, this is the circumstances of our situation. Therefore, how do, am, I, am I going to respond to whatever is my integrity, not what I think everybody else should do, um, but what's going to be my sense of integrity or my sense of rightness and being honest and whole to myself, knowing that I will lose out because I will not be able to link with everybody that's going to hold a different type of connectedness because we connect in the moment visually. We connect. And I know you're saying our inner beauty will shine. Yes, but not everybody reads the books of inner beauty. Does that make sense? Not everybody resonates with that. That's a, that's a selective group of people where men will resonate with inner beauty quicker than they will extra, uh, external beauty. So, I want to bring us down to the reality of what we're facing so that we know that this is not a, you'll, you'll automatically win if you turn inwardly and you're inwardly beautiful. It's not an automatic acceptance coefficient that goes on when you, when you take that package into the external world. What do you think? No, it's, it's, well, it's certainly not an automatic. And, and I'm not saying that you, I, I think there's a certain amount of pride and just and, and with a male too and he's not about beauty but just that you care for yourself you take pride in yourself you take good care of I see the body as a temple right the physical body is a temple right so you can you can treat your body like a tent or you can treat it like a temple right and and how you feed yourself how you take care of yourself how you groom yourself the pride you take in how you dress yourself all of those things I think yes we live in a society that um, that's how it is and but that's okay but you can be perfect on the outside, and I've certainly seen these women, right? I, we've all seen them. They are absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. They are perfectly dressed. Their bodies are perfect. They work so hard. I have a good friend, and she's absolutely amazing, and she's 41 years old, and she looks 30, and she is super fit, and she's beautiful, and her life is centered around making sure that exterior is perfect because inside there's somebody that just doesn't feel good enough. And so there's mm-hmm. never going to be enough of that. There'll never be enough. So so I'm 51, and I know for me what's happened over the last few years is I've finally given up. I don't care what other people think. 
I just don't mm-hmm. care. I'm not going to live that way because it, it doesn't make me happy. And, and we've all met. Everyone can experience. Everyone can say they can attest that they have experiences. You've met somebody that on the physical, on the outside, they were absolutely a 9 or a 10 as far as looks and perfection and how they carried themselves. And as you got to know that person, there was no depth, there was no heart, there was no kindness. And suddenly that person just wasn't quite so physically attractive either. And then I've had that work to the opposite, right, where maybe physically they weren't so attractive by standards of society. And as you get to know them, they are such an amazing person that suddenly they become more attractive to me. I've actually even dated guys like that, right? I didn't even think we're very attractive physically on the outside, but as I got to know them, suddenly they became so amazingly handsome to me, which was right. was quite mm-hmm. a um, transition. So I think I think that it's a balance, right? You're not going to get there overnight, but look at our society. Look at the actresses and look at the the women that everything, their whole validation in life was based on their sexuality and their physical looks. And as that began to crumble for them and they were no longer in the limelight in Hollywood because of their age or or their sexuality or whatever, like they they have had they have committed suicide, they have had drug issues, they have had on and on, right? Because they never went inside. So you could be the most perfect person physically on the outside and have a car accident tomorrow and get disfigured. And if you haven't developed anything on the inside, how are you going to how are you going to survive that disfigurement? And if you think hmm. about a woman and she finds she finds her prince charming, right? They really are in a great deep love affair. Like they are soulmates. They are meant to be. They are enjoying life. They each equally think each other are terrific and love each other and adore each other to the same degree. And somebody dies because of cancer or they get in a car accident. Does that mean that other person's life is over now because this one person is no longer there? Then what do you, if you've invested every bit of your worth and your passion fulfillment in something outside of you, then how do you get, how do you get back to being okay without that? And, and that's the whole point of my book is, you know, you're the one you've always been searching for. You're the reason. Mm. You are the one you've been trying to wake up to because let's face it, the one constant that you absolutely are going to have from birth to your death is you, right? Your mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. to self is is that your relationship to self, your relationship to higher power or God, whatever works for you, right? That is the one constant that you have. So isn't that your greatest mm-hmm. investment? Because you know that's mm-hmm. going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it for women starts with, um, and this is a big one for women, learning to be your own best friend. Because women mm-hmm. talk to them, women especially talk to themselves in a way that they would never even speak to somebody they didn't like. Like we say mm-hmm. horrible, ugly things to ourselves. Oh my God! I get up in the morning and look how fat I look. Can you believe it? Oh, mm-hmm. more wrinkles. Oh my hair! God, I gotta get this gray covered again. Whatever it is, right? <laughs> Why not get up yes. and, and do some affirmations of self-love? Like you know, I I have to purpose that I can pick on myself and like my belly's getting a little soft in the middle and I'm getting a little dimply and. I have to go, no, you know what? You're rocking it for 51. You go, girl. Right? Like we've got to learn to start talking and encourage ourselves mm-hmm. the way we would our best friend. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I think because the more the outside of our lives always reflects what's going on in the inside. And I love talking to people about this in, in personal branding because our personal brand is how do you make others feel when you when you interact with them or meet them, what is it? What impact do you make? How do you make their lives better? Where do you? What kind of impression do you leave with them? That's your personal brand. And if you don't have it going on in the inside, you can never be making a positive, loving, warm impact on another human being. 
because the outside mm-hmm. always reflects what's going on in the inside. They're equal. And so I tell people that's your personal brand, and how do you want to show up? How do you want to leave people when you meet them? And, and we've all been at some situation, whether it was a business meeting, whether it was a social event, and we had a conversation with somebody, and that person made us feel like we were the only person on the planet when they were talking to mm-hmm. us. I, mm-hmm. So that's beauty to me. And I'm much more drawn to somebody that knows how to really be present and acknowledge me and treat me as if I'm important. But that's that's just me. But <laughs> you have different exercises in your book, and and I was really struck that some of your exercises in your book were very feminine exercises. I was very, oh look at that that style of getting in touch with your feelings and hear your heart and understand. And I think that that's really what you're trying to wake up is the sincerity and doubt for the feminine side that is not about reacting to will the prince find me worthwhile but we'll be able to do this kind of free dance of whatever it means for you to be a woman and for you to uh, embrace that aspect of you, whether or not other individuals value those same components in you that you would value in yourself. Um, and so the, the exercises in your book are seem to be very oriented toward, let's discover your feminine capacity, your feminine style mm-hmm. in a feminine way. Um, as opposed yeah. to going out there looking for a man to define whether or not your feminine style or is is okay by that man. What are some yeah, of the exercises really about you would take? I would say Go my ahead. exercises were really designed to be very spiritual, to create an opening maybe for someone that to plant some spiritual seeds that maybe had never even done any exploration on the spiritual side and, and tuning in to even witnessing thought and being aware of their own thoughts and their own soundtrack going on in their own head. But it's, it, it, I wrote the book, I mean, when, I, cause when you write a book, you have to say, okay, who, as you're writing a book, you have to already determine who is my core audience, what is my core message, what is the journey mm-hmm. that I want to take them from to where I want them to end, and what action do I want them to take after reading my book. So when I got really mm-hmm. clear on those things in writing my book, my core audience was a sophisticated woman who is successful in some degree in most terms of in life, right? They've, they're, they've got mm-hmm. children, they've been married, they are married, they have a decent career, they, you know, they have a home, they're, but they're yearning for something more, right? There's a, there's a hole there. Like, I'm living the dream. Why, why is there still feel like there's something missing in my life or I'm yearning for something more? So that's who I wrote the book for. It's like I know there's got to be more because – I've achieved all of these things on the outside that say I should be happy, yet I'm still not really happy. So that was kind of who I wrote the book for, so for someone that really wanted to start diving into what is that missing piece for me, what's what's going on there. So my exercises are, you say feminine, so yes, they are, but not feminine necessarily <laughs> that I want to be really clear. They're not for the female necessarily. It's about the, exploring your feminine side. And this is where most men, unfortunately, you know, men have been living – I don't have to tell you this. They've been brought up and raised, and they're living in a almost like a cage, right, where they're, they've not been allowed right. to be expressive or explore their feelings or explore their emotions. And you probably read this in my book. My, my mother and father had been married 23 years, and they had always been madly in love. Four kids later, and my father's best friend and partner was shot. He was a policeman, was shot and killed in front of him. And for the first mm-hmm. time, my father broke down and cried in front of my mother and do you know what he said to her? 
Helen, do you think I'm less of a man because I'm crying in front of you? Um, like that. Yeah. I mean, yes, if my father was alive, he'd be getting ready to turn 89 years old, and he came, he was first-generation German immigrant, so he had even more of that, be stout, be strong, don't show emotion. But we're still seeing a lot of that. I have a 21-year-old son, and he's probably the first generation where I'm starting to see that struggle with that balance in him, and he's a guy's guy. He played football. He's masculine-looking. He's masculine, you know, in his demeanor and his mannerisms. But he has got, like, this heart, this sensitive heart. He loves working with autistic children, and they hear, you know, they really see him, and they get each other. And um, so he's just – and I see him. So he's, you know, he's a millennial, and I see him struggling with – what does it mean to be a man? Because I've been taught it means all this tough, competitive, you know, but I've got all this feeling and this emotion and this heart. And I see him trying to figure what that means to be a man, to encompass all of that. So I think when you say feminine exercises, there's certainly lots of men that need to start exploring that stuff because <laughs> they've been locked away no from it. Which would take me to my next, my, my next thought that I found um repeatedly saying to myself as I was reading your book is that I'm wondering if actually the next, if we look forward that androgyny in the uh, classical Cambridge definition of the term, (laughs) androgyny (laughs) where we embrace our male-female sides and we can have them do the yin and yang dance easily is actually not where we're really headed because we can no longer continue to embrace just one way of being. So, for example, I work with a lot of men and trying to help them understand how to speak the language of their woman so that their relationship mm-hmm. can be mutually satisfying. And I do the opposite as well. I'll take the woman and say, this is how to speak or interface with your man so that they begin to look into the Mars versus Venus language sort of things. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, but at the same time, to be, sometimes I get the response from women or men, I don't want to do that because it makes me feel less true to myself. And I think to I think to myself, when when did our identity only become rigidly one way of being versus an evolved way, at least from my perspective, is that the more ways we can express ourselves in different types of language, so that we can express ourselves in a feminine way, express ourselves in a masculine way, and that we have the flexibility to flow as the environment would be, let's see, to our best interest or the environment's best interest. Maybe it helps our family in a moment to, for a mother to have the masculine energy. Maybe it helps our family or our corporation in a moment for a woman to pull in a lot of masculine energy. And conversely, maybe those same situations are best handled in the feminine energy so that we find ourselves flexibly able to move to a masculine or to a feminine expression, yes, to ourselves, but ourselves are so big. We can't just say this is my true self and this is my truth. When we can I hear rigidity and many truths. Okay, go for it. So, so Carol, I hear, I hear. I don't see lack of being true to myself or authentic. I see a rigidity and a lack of willingness to do it differently. So, if if your point is to communicate effectively something to another human being right, no matter what the situation, even if it's romantic, right, if the ultimate goal here is I really want him to hear me, I really want him to be able to communicate this so that he really gets it and vice versa. I want her to really get me and hear what I'm trying to say. Like, 
then you're going to have to adapt to communication styles. And there is a difference in communication styles, right? And the first thing I tell women is become more concise and get to the point quicker, right? Like that's the biggest mistake women make in in trying to communicate to men. And so that'd be like saying, okay, I'm going to go to France and I want to teach, I want to, I'm going to teach in France, but nobody there speaks English but I'm just going to keep speaking in English to them and hope that eventually they'll get it. No, it's my responsibility right. to learn French so they get what I'm trying to communicate. It's no different. <laughs> We're still just talking about language. So mm-hmm. I, if anyone says that's not authentic, no, it's a new way. It's, an ex- it's, it's not that it's not authentic. It's, it's that people have to be willing to expand, to grow, mm-hmm. And to learn how to communicate differently so that someone else gets your message. If you really care about that person getting your message and hearing you clearly, then it's your responsibility to know how to communicate to them. And, and that requires expansion. So I would, I would almost call BS on that and say it's not that they're saying that, that what they're really feeling isn't that, oh, I'm not being true to myself. What they're really feeling is it's scary and it's uncomfortable for me to do it differently, so I'm just not going to do it. Right? Because it is scary. It's unco- it, it takes us out of our comfort. It's not authenticity. It's comfort zone. Right? There's mm-hmm. no way to expand. There's no way to grow without getting really uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. here's, here's my biggest advice to anybody in any relationship, no matter what. Is, and I learned this from Brene Brown, and, and I started practicing it the first time I heard it from her because it just hit me like a ton of bricks. She said, choose discomfort over resentment, and I live my life by that now. And I've I've always mm. been pretty outspoken and spoken my truth, but it really helped me in romantic relationships. And and I remember the first guy that I tried it out on, and I and I had to share something with him that I was, it was really uncomfortable to bring it up, and it was really hard for me to say it because it was awkward, and I didn't know how we'd receive it. But the first thing I did is I even presented it as, this is really uncomfortable for me to share this with you, but. If I don't tell you, I'm going to be resentful on the back end. So I can deal with a little discomfort on the front end or I can end up, end up hugely resentful on the back end because I never spoke my truth to you about this. And it made him wide open to hear it and receive it and even thanked me for it. But the point is, is that what Wonderful. we do is we avoid that, we avoid that discomfort because it is uncomfortable. We're, we're, you know, it's, it's counterintuitive, unfortunately, to, to humans to go towards discomfort, which is exactly where we always need to go to grow and expand. So, you know, if you if you can be a little uncomfortable and speak your truth, then you're going to avoid a whole lot of resentment on the back end, which is ultimately is what kills most relationships, right? The resentment builds and builds, and before you know it, you have a river of divide between people, and they can't seem to bridge back to that place of love that they once mm-hmm. felt. So. I say it's it's not about they're not that saying oh it's not I'm not being true to myself no you're you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone and try something different just like it's yeah. scary and I and, and I'm sure most people can experience this when you go to a foreign country and you have to speak the language to them because they don't speak English and you have your little you know Spanish book or your French book in front of your <laughs> translation book and and you're just you're you're just butchering the language, right? You know you're sounding like a total idiot, right? And they're probably laughing at you as the words you're picking and how you're saying them. And that's really uncomfortable, right? It's really uncomfortable to try and do something that's not your norm. So isn't it the same way when we try and speak someone else's language or to adhere to them so they can – it's kind of like the love language. I'm sure you're very familiar with the five love languages. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. And um, they say that for people, you know, that don't speak the same love language and you have to learn that person's love language so that they get the love message from you, that it's it's mm-hmm. not intuitive. Then, you know, if your love language is um, one of mine, my two big ones are, are verbal affirmations and and physical touch and affection. So if I'm with a guy mm-hmm. that his love language is gifts, right? And so he gives me gifts and I'm like, you're not telling me you love me. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm giving you gifts. Well, he's got to learn to be more physical affection towards me for me to get it. And that's going to be out of his comfort zone because that's not what he's mm-hmm. used to giving, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't right. know. I'll, I'll throw the question back at you. Don't you think it's more of fear of expansion and getting out of your norm and your comfort mm-hmm. zone than it is about I'm not being true to myself? I think your phrase at the very beginning of what you're saying is that don't don't see yourself as someone who's rigidly defined one way. Uh, but instead explore many ways of expressing yourself and many ways of being yourself. And you mentioned uh, Hillary Clinton. I think it's so interesting. She said, I'm not sure I want to run for presidency because I'm now a grandmother. And uh, that, that she could just declare that openly, that that was one of the things she was contemplating, is how she would fit that into the possibility of running for president. And you were saying that she's highly masculine. I think that maybe I don't know her, but I do know people who do know her. And the way they I think she's shifting. Her, yeah, well, the way that they described her and they've known her for decades is that when you're in her presence, she's the kindest, most personable, conscientious toward who this other person is and how they're feeling, what's going on in their life. And I, my jaw, my jaw dropped when I heard them describe Hillary in that fashion. I'll use her first name because that's a female familiar way to do it. At the same time, for her to be able to go into these countries where women are clothed and covered and demure and oppressed, and for her to be a representative of the United States as a representative of the United States and a woman. I am thinking that perhaps she may be able to teach us both to use when we can be highly masculine in our expressions of ourselves, when it suits the optimization of the situation and then also highly feminine in a situation. And to be conscious of when other men and women are doing their own dance with their masculine-feminine shifts as well, Mm -hmm. um, or if they're rigid or not. For us to have our radar dish so big that we can sense where they're coming from and then our own access to ourselves so big that we can pull from a pool of different ways of being in a... in my way, because we want to optimize the moment and whatever that optimization right. would be. We have no more minutes left, but I insist that you give us your final farewell to individuals. This is a dialogue that goes on and on as you evolve yourself, your relationships, and the people you influence. Lisa Marie Jenkins, what's your last here to go. I just, I really just want to comment on it. It was so beautifully pulled together, Carol, how you, you, you just said because even in talking about Hillary Clinton, it all comes back. If you are truly in touch and self-aware and self-developed from the inside out, then you can do that dance with the masculine and feminine to what's appropriate and what situation because you're so self-aware and you're so tuned in to your authentic self. And there is balance, the ability to be intuitive and caring and loving and collaborative and have the confidence and courage to take action and carry it forth. Right. So, so it comes back to... To the, I'm glad you brought her up again. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, my final closing is it is the only way out is in. You have to take that uncomfortable journey inward, so you can be really aligned and share your message, share your gift, and live that outwardly. 
to the world? Being small takes too much space. Be as big as you can be is one of your themes as well. We are so glad you joined us. I hope you will continue this dialogue. Lisa Marie Jenkins, and you can reach her at lisamariejenkins.com. And her book is now available anywhere. Well, I'll probably try it on Amazon. So (laughs) there we go. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, folks. Have a great and insightful and expanding day. And Lisa, thanks. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers.